Welcome to Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo. My name is Jesse Lowry, and I'm the Director of Conservation and Research here at the zoo. And uh, my partner in crime, Ryan Bickle, is off today. And so um, it's just me, but I've got a fantastic guest that I'm really excited about. Today we have Susie Lewis. She's the founder of Conservation Fusion. They work in Madagascar to save lemurs and tortoises by uplifting the local people. And we'll talk to her in just a couple moments about the amazing work um, that she does. Uh, but first, I always like to set the stage by talking about the role of a modern zoo in saving animals in the wild. The mission of Blank Park Zoo is to inspire an appreciation of the natural world through conservation, education, research, and recreation. But what I like to call it is a window to the wild. It's a place where we can invite the community and families and schools to come have a fun, affordable day out. We've surveyed our audience and we know that that's what they're looking for is to come have a fun, affordable day with their family, see some amazing animals and have a great day here at the zoo. So we're really good at providing that. But while we have people here, we want to inspire them to do something in their own lives to help take care of animals in the wild. And um, we do that in many ways because, you know, even though we're a small zoo, we have an audience of over half a million people. And so we think that's a really great opportunity, but also a really great responsibility to be a leader in conservation, both in Iowa and abroad. And so saving animals can mean lots of different things. We try to be as sustainable as possible in our day-to-day -day operations. We know that our consumption of um, you know, products and materials, especially single-use plastics, has a direct effect on, on both local and global wildlife. We've got worms that eat some of our garbage. We've changed all of our lights to LEDs, um, and we encourage our audience to do so as well. Um, we have a new program called Stomp the Straw. You can look at blankparksu.com to find out how easy it is to stop your use of single-use plastic straws. There's lots of alternatives, and you can sign a pledge on our website. We also um, send our staff to work for field organizations. Now, field organizations are those people and organizations that are out on the front lines in the range countries of the animals that we have here at Blank Park Zoo, and um, that's why we have Susie here today. Uh, but we support them in many ways by uh, financially supporting them and by sending our staff to the field. In the past few years, our staff have gone to Madagascar, Uganda, Namibia, and also worked um, for ISU Wildlife Care Clinic right here in Ames. And we give them financial grants to work on everything from habitat restoration to um, collaring animals to take to really record their habitat use. All of this data needed to inform management practices so we can really help these declining populations of all the animals that you love to see. Like giraffe, we support Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Like the hornbills here at Blank Park Zoo, we support Hornbill Thailand Foundation. Um, and really, the moral of the story is, is that every time you visit the zoo, you're helping to save animals in the wild because a portion of every dollar that we make goes to these projects and many, many more. And you can go to BlankParkZoo.com to see a full listing of those projects. And so just by coming here on a Saturday afternoon or riding the train, you and your family can be part of the solution. And so we're really excited. And another thing that we do, and one of the reasons why we have this great partnership with Susie and Conservation Fusion, is education. We really believe that 
everybody can make a difference in their own life that's going to help animals. And by educating and raising awareness, we can help create those behavior changes that are going to really help animal populations. And so um, the wonderful education work that Susie does really made, made her organization a perfect fit for a partnership with Blank Park Zoo. And so with that, Susie, I will welcome you once again to the show. I'm so glad to have you back in Iowa. Thanks for having me. Um, we're super excited to be here, and we're really proud of how far Conservation Fusion has come. Um, this is our ninth year in action, and, uh, you know, we've been working mainly, uh, we work on local global conservation pro projects, and so uh, we're working right here in the Midwest, mainly in Omaha, where I'm from, um, but our international focus is the island of Madagascar. So, Susie, why don't you kind of take us through um, your development of Conservation Fusion um, and how you really um, came to the decision to start your own nonprofit, and um, how did you pick Madagascar as your focus? Sure. Um, well, I'll tell you, I have loved zoos all my life, and so uh, growing up in Omaha, um, I had a dream to work at the Omaha Henry Dorley Zoo, so um, that's what I did. I was at the zoo for 13 years, and I started out as a zookeeper, and um, I took care of animals, and of those 13 years, I, I spent the last eight years working in the Center for Conservation and Research, the Molecular Genetics Lab, and it's really special because there's only a few zoos actually in the nation that have these dedicated um, research and conservation centers, and Omaha was one of them. So um, during my time working in the genetics lab, we were looking at all the scientific data of all these different animal populations from Philippine crocodiles to giraffes and in Africa, and we had a really big focus on Malagasy flora and fauna, plants and animals in Madagascar. So we would actually work with Malagasy graduate students who collected samples in the wild in Madagascar, blood and tissue samples that were sent back to the lab in Omaha. And by looking at those uh, endangered populations, we could, we could look at their genetics and we could find out um, who's breeding with who, if rivers and roads were acting as barriers, uh, you know, what the outcome of the population would look like in five or ten years. And it really occurred to me that uh, if we really want to save endangered species in the wild, it was all about community-based education because we could know all of this background information about these populations of animals. However, in the wild, everything was being destroyed in their natural habitat so quickly, and it just seemed like people were part of the problem and the conservation challenges um, in these range countries. And so people also had to be part of the solution. And at the time, nobody was really uh, doing strictly education programs in Madagascar. And so I felt like there was a strong um, niche that needed to be filled. And so um, that's when, when we started Conservation Fusion. I love um, when you talk about that humans are a part of the the cause of environmental destruction and degradation, and you're going to talk about exactly um, why you know this happens in some areas of the world and why it's happening in Madagascar. But it's really powerful, and I say this in my talks all the time that 
maybe we're part or most of the problem, but we can also be the solution and that we, it really isn't too late. The tables haven't turned mm-hmm. and we have enough time to all make changes in our own life, whether you live in Madagascar or Iowa or Nebraska, um, that can really make a difference. And then the other thing that I love about Conservation Fusion and every one of the projects that we support here at Blank Park Zoo is you are addressing the root causes of species mm-hmm. decline and environmental degradation. We're not just putting a bandaid on things. We're addressing the root causes. And sometimes it looks a little different than a research project or mm-hmm. going out in the field and, and chasing down animals and following animals with radio collars. Sometimes it looks like going into villages and, and helping with education and, and hygiene programs. So tell us a little bit. So you, you decided to start Conservation Fusion and, and what were some of the first, you know, what's your mission and what were some of the first projects? Our mission and vision at Conservation Fusion is educating to build and strengthen our world, which is kind of a broad, over-encompassing project because that's because we have quite a few different programs under our umbrella. But everything we do um, is conservation, education, and collaboration. So we the, the only way we could do what we do is um, through the multiple partnerships that we have um, with, with folks on the ground, local people, and partners like the Blank Park Zoo. So uh, when we first started to work in Madagascar, we really focused on um, three major sites in Madagascar. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the human dimension of, con- of the human dimensions of conservation and uh we really include the local people. And at each one of those three sites that we work at now, um, there are different conservation challenges um, due to local culture, um, the environment, uh, the things that are motivating people towards behavior change. And so the most important thing that we can do is always go into these communities with an open mind and um, really ask a lot of questions and listen for the answers. And so give us a couple of examples of some of the conditions um, and the challenges that folks mm-hmm. in, at these three sites have. Great. And uh, the, the important thing, thing to think about with Madagascar is that it's a, it's a developing country and the average income has just been raised up to be less than $2 a day instead of less than $1 a day. So, um, you know, these people are living in extreme poverty and uh, many times they depend upon the forest to meet their basic needs. So food, water, shelter, medicines all come from the forest. And Madagascar has suffered a loss of an incredible amount of their forest just in the last several decades. So in the last 30 years, they've lost about 70% of all of the original forest. And overall, they've probably lost more than 90% of the original forest. So um, there's a competition for all these plants and animals which exist in Madagascar and the 28 million people that live there, all vying for this small percentage of the original forest that's left to meet basic needs. And so um, is part of the challenge that folks and the animals are all depending on this little amount of forest that's left? And are they having to clear the forest, cut down the trees mm-hmm. um, for sustenance, uh, just use for firewood and for cooking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, really, uh, about 95% of all people that live in Madagascar are what's called substance, sub- 
subsistence farmers. And what that means is that they're they're just growing enough food for themselves. There's no surplus crops that they're able to sell. Um, they're just growing enough for themselves. And there's actually annual cyclones that hit the, the island. So if, there, if there's one major catastrophe in the weather, um, their whole crop can be wiped out for the entire year that they depend upon and there's not enough time to replant. Now, culturally, um, the Malagasy people eat a lot of rice, so they they eat more rice per capita than any other country in the world. In fact, they even import rice from other countries. So um, they normally, if you're visiting Madagascar and you're in the rural areas, you're going to have rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So um, this, the practice of the subsistence farmer is to do a type of agriculture called slash and burn or tavi. And it's where they burn an area of the forest in order to plant the rice crops. And that same area of land that they clear um, only has the nutrients to support those rice crops for maybe one or two years and all the nutrients are leached out of the soil so they have to burn a new plot so um you know it, it's actually not a very sustainable farming practice for the for the local people to survive so i know one of the programs that you um, go over and really train the local people you have a couple things that come to mind your composting programs as well as the rocket stoves do you want to tell us a little bit sure. about how the rocket stoves um, really help the local people maybe live in, in more harmony with with, mm-hmm. their, with the land? Yes, absolutely. So um, in Madagascar, there are no fast food joints. So um, if you want to get something to eat, you, you have to travel to the local stream, bucket up some water, um, go out into the woods and collect some fuel wood um, in order to cook the, in order to heat the water and cook the rice or any vegetables that you're going to have. Uh, you're going to have to grow those yourselves in in a, in a family farm so um everything is is a little bit more of a struggle than we're we're normally used to it's not a a quick fix to just grab something to eat so they traditionally cook on these three stone open fires and the smoke that's emitted from these fires is is actually equivalent to smoking like six packs of cigarettes a day um, because of the smoke that's coming up so it's causing health problems they're using fuel wood from the forest and these fuel efficient rocket stoves because of their unique and innovative design are actually designed to produce little to no smoke so they're addressing that underpinning health issue that we were talking about. And through uh, many tests that we did, it burns about less than 50% of the normal fuel wood. So instead of having to cut down 10 trees, they would only have to take five out of that existing forest that we talked about. That is one, only one fantastic example of the many programs um, that you do in Madagascar to help the local people. Let's shift gears and talk about some of the education programs that you do for for the younger generations in Madagascar. And a lot of that is focused on, on the lemurs, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I maybe I'll just talk in particular about the eastern rainforest where we work in, in the community of Kinjavatu. And there we're engaging students at 12 schools. And we work with local teachers and parents and uh, community members, the mayor and the, the young generation. So we work a lot in primary schools. And the black and white rough lemur, which is found in many zoos in captivity, um, 
is actually the superstar of the reforestation program. And so the black and white rough lemur is is frugivorous, which means that about 95% of its diet is fruits. And we know that this lemur in particular does not uh, chew up the, the fruit when it eats it, but swallows it whole. And so when those seeds pass through the digestive system of the lemur, um, they're more likely to germinate those seeds. And so those seeds... Uh, we have we actually um, another of our collaborations is with the Madagascar Biodiversity Partnership. Um, they're a Malagasy NGO that was started by um, Ed Lewis and. What they do is go out into the field. These local people are going out into the field. Um, they're monitoring the lemurs. They have radio collars on them. And what they're doing is collecting these the, the poop samples. And from the, the lemur poop, they can find over 100 different tree species that come from those seeds that pass through the lemur's guts. And we know that there's an 85% germination rate of those seeds versus a 10% if those seeds are collected from the trees. So the lemurs essentially become the superstars of the reforestation project. So by protecting the lemurs, uh, the folks are helping to protect the forest, mm -hmm. which supports everything that they need to, to live. Yes. And, you know, the great thing about that is that um, it was a really all about education. When we first uh, came to the community, we used to ask the kids in the school, like, hey, um, everybody that eats lemurs, raise your hand. And we had quite a few of the students raising their hands. Um, and instead of, like, scolding them or saying, like, don't hunt the lemurs, we talked about uh, how they actually use the forest on a daily basis. They're using the forest uh, for medicinal purposes. Um, like I said, fuel wood to build their homes. Their homes are all made out of uh, forest products for for food for shelter everything comes from the forest so what we pose to these kids is if these lemurs are spreading the next generation the seeds of the next generation of trees in the forest that they need for their daily life and their survival if those lemurs are removed from that equation like what happens to all of those things that you're depending upon and that just made perfect sense so you know, we talk about the human dimension of conservation, and we always try to incorporate tangible benefits that affect people's daily lives, and that makes conservation a win-win. I love looking at, watching your presentation, seeing all the pictures that you send to us and in in your awesome thank you cards um, when we give you donations. And the pictures are of the kids inside the classroom doing lessons, and they often involve beautiful pieces of art. Can you give us an example of an educational lesson that you gave the kids and, and what it looked like and what kind of impact it had on the kids? Sure. Um, okay, I'll share one of my favorite art projects. Um, we love incorporating art into our conservation education programs. Um, so it kind of piggybacks on that whole reforestation idea. And so what we do is we call it the lemur cycle. Um, we talk to kids about how the lemurs eat the fruit, what's inside the fruit, the seeds, and when the lemur poops out those seeds, they become that next generation. So um, we have actually done like an illustration just on a big old long, long piece of, of brown construction paper um, 
brown roll of paper, we, we have that lemur cycle painted out. And then there are just a few trees by the lemur, and then um, the, the paper's blank, and it rolls out maybe 10 or 15 feet, and at the other end of the paper are a few more trees. And uh, what we have done to just illustrate that is um, paint the children's hands with green paint, and then their handprint essentially becomes the leaves, and then they draw um, with a brown marker like uh, the the trunk of the tree. And so it essentially, it's like they're reforest, reforesting um, the the natural habitat, which is what they're doing right now. They're planting about 60,000 trees every week with the local community. So children are planting the trees. The parents are planting the trees. It's providing local incomes and those tangible benefits. So at the end of the art project, it's like, it, it creates such an ownership because these kids are seeing their own hands are connecting these forests. And we talk about, hey, what if there's a lemur on this side of the forest and, and the the lemur partner is on the other side? Like, they can't reach each other, but by reforesting, we're regenerating this habitat for the lemurs. But we're also providing somewhat of a savings account for our entire community by replenishing this forest and we talk about uh, all kinds of different things in our education program, uh, commercial crops and ways that they can selectively log the trees they're planting in years to come, like I said, like a savings account, and how they can plant trees like uh, cocoa trees, um, bananas, all kinds of things that they can um, actually eat or they can sell, and we teach them entrepreneurial business training. So it, it's it's all full circle and it's all very holistic, like healthy people, healthy animals, healthy planet. It benefits the people and it benefits the lemurs too. We mm-hmm. really love that about your project. Tell us about dream school number one and what you're planning to do next. Okay. Um, well, uh, this is kind of shifts gears a little bit on the island of Madagascar and brings us to the dry spiny forest of Lava Vulu. And um, there it, it is very dry and xeric, and the kids had to walk about 20 kilometers to get to school. And in a nutshell, I met the village elder, the Nauda, and he shared with me that he really felt he could have done something for Madagascar, um, him and his, his fellow colleagues. However, they never had an opportunity because they couldn't simply read and write. So the community came together and said that it was their dream that their children and grandchildren could attend school, um, that they could receive an education, and that would really um, be a huge opportunity for them. So in 2014, um, we were able to collaborate with multiple partners to build the Dream School in, Ma- in Madagascar. And uh, we, we started out with just 70 kids and one trained teacher, and today we have 175 children um, from the village of Lavavulu and neighboring villages who are attending the school, um, along with seven teachers. And uh, the community just shared with us this past summer um, that they are expanding and they want to continue this education program with these children. And they're seeing all of these positive impacts of the conservation research and education programs in their village. And so uh, they proposed building a second school, a second dream school, the Dream School 2.0. 
And Blank Park Zoo is excited to support you in building Dream School 2.0. And listeners can find out more about what Blank Park Zoo um, is doing for Conservation Fusion at blankparkzoo.com. And we'll get Susie's. Um, let's go ahead and say what your, your website is right now. And we'll okay. say it again at the end. Sure. It's um, conservationfusion.org. And not only students and teachers attend these schools, but also there's some pretty cool tortoises that hang around. Mm, yes. Can you tell us that story? And, you know, the reason that we are working in Lava Vulu, it takes us about four days to travel there. It's very, very remote. Uh, the reason we were we, we began working in the village of Lava Vulu is because of the critically endangered radiated tortoises. And so we've been working closely with the local villagers and, and uh, the community in... They they are true forest guardians, and they have been protecting these radiated tortoises for years. Um, our partners at the MVP have been working there since 2005, and we were on the ground there all the time initiating uh, food programs for them, aquaponics, reforestation of the dry spiny forest, um, the education programs that talk about protecting these iconic um, critically endangered reptiles that are a, a, like an icon of the of Southwest Madagascar, and there's been a some huge uh, declines to the population due to the international illegal pet trade, and so there there have been poachers. But luckily, because of our education programs, uh, these local children have helped to, to rescue more than 600 of these critically endangered radiated tortoises and that's a direct result of having the dream school there as a foundation for conservation and education and so the kids would attend your classes and part of the education program was that they needed to tell the teachers or their parents if they ever saw poachers around yes absolutely so lava vulu is now one of the last strongholds of any wild radiated tortoises in madagascar we've got just a few minutes left why don't you tell us about the amazing lemurs that you get to work with in Madagascar? Okay. Well, um, that's sometimes a tough question because there are 112 different species of lemurs, and they range in all sizes from the mouse lemur, which is about the size of a hamster with a tail, all the way up to uh, the largest lemur, which is the Indri. It's like an athletic teddy bear. Um, it's locally known as the Baba Kutu, and it jumps through the trees, and it's about the size of a kindergartner. So um, I really, it's hard for me to pick one lemur that is my favorite, uh, but if I had to, it might be uh, the rare and elusive I.I. lemur. And that's a nocturnal lemur, right? Yes. The I.I. is in a family all of its own, and uh, it, it's very it's very elusive. No one has had a chance to really study the eye until recently because it is nocturnal and it has a, a special finger that it uses to, um, it has giant ears. So it listens for, um, it taps with its long finger on the, on the tree trunk. And if it hears any insects inside there, it's the only primate that has these continually growing teeth like a rodent. And so it uses those strong teeth to gnaw on the wood and grab those insects and grubs out with its extra long finger. And if any of our listeners don't know what an eye eye looks like, please look it up. It is an amazing animal. Yes. It's, it's quite a sight. In our last moment here, Susie, what else would you like our listeners to know? 
Well, I think one important thing that you touched on a little bit, Jesse, is that we don't all have to travel all the way to Madagascar to make a difference. We can we can do something right here in Iowa, right here in Nebraska at Blank Park Zoo, as you mentioned, just uh, coming into the gate or purchasing something here at the zoo helps save endangered species in the wild. And we all have choices in our daily lives, you know, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, it, it may sound um, very simple, but it has a huge impact on our global footprint, and it really does make a big difference. And tell us what your website is again, please. Um, it's conservationfusion.org. And you've got a very active Facebook page yes. as well. Yes. We are so delighted to support you. We've supported you since 2013. We're really excited about Dream School 2.0. Um, go to blankparkzoo.com to learn more about all of our conservation programs and events. Check out our Facebook page for updates. And thank you for being here with us, Susie. We're excited to have you back in Des Moines again. We're really lucky that you're so close just in Omaha. Thank you for all your work that you do in Madagascar. And we'll see you next time on Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo.